For you, the listeners of My JavaScript Story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Dean Sofer. Dean, do you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. I'm Dean. Um, now, you were on episode 95 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about Angular UI. We should probably have you back on Adventures in Angular. Uh, maybe, but I'm actually not active in Angular anymore. Oh, cool. Uh, well, we'll dig into that then. Okay. But but yeah, so if you want to hear from Dean, you can go check out episode 95. That was quite a while ago. It was, what, three, four years ago? Yeah. Angular has changed, and I have forked my interests. Gotcha. So do you want to just give people a, a quick idea of who you are, what you do, why you're famous, all that good stuff? Yeah. Well, grew up in Orange County and kind of jack of all trades, master of none. And uh, pretty much got, I procrastinated in college while studying mechanical engineering by programming and doing scripts. <laughs> and nice. yeah. And then I just realized that I like programming, like engineering. So I kind of been doing that, did consulting, freelance, portfolio web pages for like actor, aspiring actors in Hollywood. And then projects got bigger and the scale of my work got bigger. And you kind of start with dabbling in front end and JavaScript and HTML. And then you do full stack with MVC. And then you kind of go into like JavaScript, everything these days. And, and now I, uh, Pretty much. I worked at a couple of tech startups in San Francisco, and now I'm at actually at PlayStation. And I used to be really into open source, but I've kind of taken a step back from that and just kind of get my day work done. Nice. I know people nice. are going to ask this, so I'm just going to ask it. If you work at PlayStation, do you get free consoles and games and stuff? We get really nice discounts. Um, and if you're looking for a job at PlayStation, you should hit me up on any PM medium you can find me on. And uh, not for swag, but for employment. Um, and <laughs> I love that we, we get we get yeah. some pretty cool perks. Nice, yeah. very cool. But yeah, and I kind of the thing for me was like I started off doing tech startups. Like I've been the tenth employee at a company, the fortieth employee at a company, and in San Francisco, and I would work like. 60 to 80 hours a week, including weekends. And I was just super passionate about the projects, but I found, I realized if the leadership didn't have any clue what they were doing, then it would tend to just be really frustrating because they wouldn't listen to you. And I decided if I'm not going to get listened to, I might as well look, work at a large corporation where I can really just be the cog in the wheel and get the perks and focus more on my social and personal and creative life rather than investing all my time and energy into work. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Well, I did send you a list of questions. We're probably going to come back around to some of this, but uh, 
let's dive in and get your story. The first question that I typically ask is, how did you get into programming? And you, you kind of talked about some things. I don't know if that's where you started, though. So where did you get your start in programming? Well, um, I kind of dove into computers from my dad because he started off being really into tech, introduced me like the days of DOS. And I ended up, I feel like a lot of people, I started with scripting. I was trying to build little, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, always got to fix problems I see and build solutions. Uh, and I would build like a media catalog script for some stuff at college. I created a website which allowed people to sign up to host radio talk shows on a radio station I started in college uh-huh. and doing portfolio websites because I was picking up HTML and CSS and fooling around making stuff for me and my friends. And after I got good at it, people started offering to pay me and just kind of stepping up my game, switching to full stack knowledge, picked up Cake PHP. Uh, so I started with like HTML, CSS, usually reverse engineering themes I found, then applying PHP and databases and then getting frustrated at how tedious it was. I was introduced <laughs> to MVC and then MVC kind of like stepped up my game. And after a while, I left Cake PHP because I'd been dabbling with Node and started messing with like sockets and stuff and just node scripts. And after a while, I was like, I really didn't like the um, schism across browsers. This was a couple years ago before they all sort of unified and green, like green, evergreen browsers weren't a thing back then. So I started doing node scripts and server side, like just internal tooling for different companies. And, and now I'm kind of like, I don't know. I just do whatever I need to do for the job. It's just whatever project you're working on. But that's, I think that's kind of how I started. Gotcha. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, you get in scripting. Usually that's not where I hear people get started. Usually it's either they were younger, older computer, started with basic, or they find it as an adult and they start learning it and then they get interested and build a career on it. Um, so, so it's interesting, well, you know, coming at it from where you're at. You know, it's just just a little bit different approach. Well, I mean, I remember taking a visual basic class in high school. But what was cool for me was like the fastest way to have a product was HTML, CSS. You could just with very little effort and a lot of bugs have something that friends and family can check out and use and interact with. And even if like five of your friends were the only people who actually viewed it like once a month, the point was you could complete something and I didn't really dig. It was a lot harder to learn like more true computer science languages and especially to like create and release a product. And I was all about sharing with people like everything I do is for people. So web was definitely my go to. Yeah, that makes sense. What time frame was this? I mean, how new was the web? I, I don't have a good feel for how old you are. Well, uh, I'm 30 now. I think 15, 16 was like the DOS days. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't even remember Windows 3.1. I, I think it was like starting to code around Windows 98 SE, maybe later. That was even then. So now I, I was, old. I remember dealing with Internet Explorer. And I started picking up Cake PHP when Chrome Jet came out. So I don't remember exactly when that was, but one or two years before Chrome, Google Chrome was released, that was kind of where I really dug into. Or a couple years before. God, I don't remember anymore. I think 2000 to 2005. Gotcha. 
So, so I'm curious then you mentioned, okay, I, I was doing cake PHP and then node came along. So how did you find node and what was it about it that made you want to move? Well, I think everybody who was doing JavaScript found out about node, like, Mm -hmm. because if you're in the JavaScript world, it just massively evolved really rapidly. And it was like, you didn't have to build, I was previously used to building full MVC web apps, but sometimes you just wanted simple scripts and you're like, well, I already know JavaScript and why would I write a batch like file um, or something like that? And then after a while I started looking for MVC frameworks in node Uh and then I just realized they're kind of overblown and it was just, everything started shifting to client side heavy. So how did I find out about Node? I don't know. I just, you know, you when you're in the JavaScript world, you hear heard about it. It right. was very hard not to notice. Okay. That makes sense. So what was it then? I mean, you you mentioned MVC, but you, then you mentioned that it was kind of overblown. So so what was it? What was it in Node that made you go, "Okay, you know what? Cake PHP is not my jam anymore." Well, MVC in Node, which at the time what I, I would for me was Sales.js, right. was like it was trying to get the job done for me. I'm not like married to node. I use whatever language technology I need. But if I was building a short script, JavaScript was easy to do. And it was just cake. PHP had limitations. It was slow. It was PHP. And I was like, there's all these PHP frameworks and everybody's arguing about who's the fastest. I'm going to switch over to pure JavaScript because there's no argument. Everybody uses jQuery. And now we have, JavaScript frameworks yep. <laughs> fighting just like PHP frameworks. And now I'm like, I'm sick of this. I just, it, it's really annoying. And even today I used to love angular. I, I jumped on angular when it was 0.9 and oh, wow. now I think it's four or something like that. And I was like, this is hands down the best framework. No argument. Cause react didn't exist at the time. Uh-huh. And the funny thing is I actually like Angular 1 better than all other frameworks. <laughs> Angular 1 plus Angular UI's router to this day I still feel was one of the best combinations of like development environments and all the complaints about performance. I was like, you just didn't understand the limitations of the framework or how to optimize. And you can run into those, you can run into problems in every single framework, but that combination for me lasted the longest and worked the best without any like in the complexity kind of plateaued of my applications. Uh-huh. And nowadays I'm like, well, React for me takes a lot of boilerplate and Angular is pretty much just trying to copy React and takes a lot of boilerplate. So the closest thing I was looking at is the new Vue.js, but right. really I'm just, I hate having to keep changing whatever language and framework you're using every two years. So I'm just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> nice. Gotcha. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear this take on things. Um, most people I talk to, they've kind of picked one framework and so they'll talk about what they like about it. And it's kind of interesting to see where you come out with all this. I'd like to dig a little bit into Angular, mainly because we have Adventures in Angular podcast. I mean, what was it about Angular, you know, back in the Angular one or Angular JS days that really appealed to you that, that got you to, to come over to that technology? Well, I'm sure I covered most of this on the episode where you interviewed me because I was gung-ho about Angular and more importantly about the Angular UI organization I started and we had the biggest router in Angular and I still think that router we built was 
possibly the coolest part of Angular. And it's just worked so well with Angular's. If you update variables or models or objects anywhere in the application, Angular just reflects those changes. Uh And using shared objects, which is, I think, considered a taboo these days because everybody likes things to be immutable. Working with shared objects and shared references in the route in the UI router, which was a tree state machine, uh, was just a super awesome concept that made everything. It just it just organized your application at scale in a way that felt really manageable and really sane. Um, and but I, the reason why I first jumped onto Angular was before that I tried creating a client-side application using jQuery because the lead of my team said client-side JavaScript is where it's at now. Serve static HTML and do everything on the client because nothing will get you better fast uh, response times on your web page <laughs> than static HTML. If you could do st- serve a website with static text files, that'd be even better. Right. But um, that was a nightmare. Async, callback, hell waiting for eight different libraries to all load before you started actually executing stuff. I looked at Backbone and Spine and a bunch of other ones, and they were just also nightmares. They were The JavaScript was so tightly coupled to the DOM. And then Angular was like, this literally takes the least number of lines of code. I built a form generator in like 40 lines or 50 lines of JavaScript, 50 lines of HTML. And I was like, this is by far the fastest way to develop it's the most straightforward. Um, and it was really, I think, uh, declarative bindings, like p- moving a lot of structure into your HTML declaratively. Because the one thing, you know, you deal with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and your CSS, uh, people have learned these days with Bootstrap and these frameworks that it may take a little bit more boilerplate to build bootstrap components or foundation components in your HTML. But the benefit is refactoring only needs to be done in your HTML and your HTML is your view. And it's always going to be the most, the most amount of code and the most amount of refactoring. Somebody's going to come along and say, move this around. And the best way to build your app is never needing to touch your CSS because you're just changing your HTML structures around and getting that same benefit with JavaScript where you don't have to touch your JavaScript to change your interactions with it. Uh-huh. Um, that's again, you're only touching the HTML. So you're really re- removing most of your refactoring necessity into your HTML. Right. That's interesting. So yeah, so you came on, you talked about Angular UI and the, you know, you're, you, you've mentioned the Angular UI router and, and all the stuff. And then, yeah, the, the payoffs there. I'm, I'm also curious, why didn't you come along then to Angular 2? I mean, you mentioned that it was, you know, kind of a, they're, they're trying to copy React. And I've heard that from a few people and, and I've heard various reasons for it. I'm just curious, you know, where, where you're coming from and then what you moved to, you know, what you're doing now. Well, I like, I mean, I, I both like and dislike every framework there is. And I think the one thing I've learned these days is don't be a zealot, like have a good general knowledge. I know how the react rendering engine works under the hood, Mm -hmm. know how the angular one works under the hood. Uh, I've built personal projects using react because I needed I needed the rendering engine from React, and Angular's rendering engine was super slow for what I was trying to do. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't like Angular's evolution because I wasn't a huge fan of directives, which are the equivalent to React components. I didn't. I still don't like this massive number of components because I feel like when people break down like five line components, eight line components. 
they were just super duper heavily tied to dom structure and they're super duper tightly coupled to each other and half the time you're passing data through three or four components and like two or three of the items in the middle the components in the middle don't even interact with the data and know what to do with it so you create a lot of this just really tightly coupled structures and i remember jumping into a new code base when i was interviewing for a job and i'm like you've got I just felt like I was constantly going into a component and then finding I actually have to jump into another component, jump into another component. And I found it maddening. And in Angular, it was really hard to write directives or components in one. And I highly recommended people not do so because it meant you were trying to build like view structure, view utilities and widgets. And I said, try and reuse other people's mm -hmm. resort to creating your own widgets like at the very end, and I've put a heavy emphasis on the router, which was a state machine. And I said, create states in your application. Like you really want to focus on when I'm viewing a list, that's a state. And then the details of one record in the list is a substate of the list. And then editing the rec the details is like a substate of that. And, and I, at the time there was this very clear distinction between application states, mm -hmm. which were tree and hierarchical there was inheritance built into the state system that was separate from Angular's scope inheritance so it was a lot more declarative uh, you would declare these are the dependencies i have and the state the state machine would actually resolve all of your data dependencies in a tree fashion so if your data dependency resolutions depended on other data dependencies the router would actually optimize and organize and pull in the data it would try and parallelize all of the resolution but if it had to it would sequentialize any of those things and every time you needed access to data you could explicitly declare it as a dependency but you didn't have to so it was like uh it, it was just a really nice way of if you knew a really good way of organizing your code and knew the benefit, the pros and cons of using scope data, using resolute resolved data, um, using data that you assume is there, such which is like scope is kind of like this, it's like this inheritance thing that's like implicit, whereas resolved data is kind of an explicit dependency. And it just, I kind of came up with this approach that just felt really, really nice to work with, where you can kind of move your data from a more implicit area to an explicit area and you had a, res a, a dependency injection system that really took care of a lot of stuff. And the dependency injection system was hierarchical too, but it was tied to your application state. And if you tie the data, how you get your data in your application to what state you are in the application and the state system is a tree, it made it really easy to just kind of organize things. It's <laughs> probably getting really specific and confusing, but that was what I loved. And the future of Angular and React was all about Build components. Everything's a component. Uh -huh. Build more components. And I used to advocate against that um, because I, I felt like you you should be resolving data and then putting it on the view. And then pretty much the rest of your code should be HTML. You really should not be touching your JavaScript at all if you can. Right. And yeah, the new yeah, future is like different. So uh, we talked a little bit about Angular and Angular UI. Um, are there are there parts of that that you're particularly proud of having worked on or anything else in JavaScript or Angular that you want to mention? Hey, I did this. It was cool. I'm very proud of the organization. 
the one thing Angular UI tried to bring to Angular was unity of the community before Google opened it up to the community. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like it just brought a lot of people together. Like even the React, uh, the router we built was issue number one is just a huge thousand comment discussion of a bunch of people discussing different types of routers and different types of approaches. And they all figured out and built this really awesome solution. And that's my favorite project. And I didn't even write it. The only thing that I find at the same time frustrating about Angular UI is we couldn't figure out how to maintain momentum. We, we couldn't, we weren't getting funding. Some people offered to pay us, but it wasn't like enough to be useful. And I didn't know how to, who to send it to. I didn't have the time and the energy to, to manage all the projects and things like that. So it was like, both a success and a failure. I don't think Angular UI is that active. Like some projects are are active, but they've kind of forked onto their own namespaces. And I kind of wished I'd figure out a way to get that project keep going on its own, kind of like how jQuery did. But right. I, I think a lot of open source people struggle with burnout and like keeping things going after they've left. So I built a lot of random stupid projects, but Angular UI is definitely one of the biggest things I've ever done. And it's to me, what's important isn't what the code was, but the community it like really had going with it and just connecting all these people in a way that they were all collaborating and versus this community of people competing with my components better than your version of the exact same component sort of thing. So I want to kind of veer, you talked a little bit about uh, sustainability so uh, I have no solutions around that. I'm not a good person okay. to talk to about that because my entire life has been burnout and new exploration. <laughs> so the best thing I have to say about sustainability is no matter what, your code is going to be bad in two months and useless in two years. So don't like kill yourself over it. And that's not a good thing to say about sustainability, but I don't know the trick to sustainability with code. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I've talked to a few other people about it, so uh, maybe I'll do some picks at the end of the show. But it's it's definitely not a solved problem, that's for sure. One thing I will say that in all my years of working in JavaScript and development that I constantly teach to as many people as I can is I've learned the most important like aspect of code. Like people say, oh, you should be perfectly documented. You should get 100% unit tests. Like the most important thing for me is refactorability. Everything else kind of leads towards refactorability. And no matter what, all code will inevitably need to be refactored. So anything, any like documentation, unit tests, those are all good, but they all lead to a very easy to refactor code base. And anything you can do to kind of go towards that direction for me has always felt the best way to approach things. And that's why I like the state machine router. It was very easy to refactor. It was very refactor friendly focused and it just was the most, um, rewarding thing to work with. And then another guy was working on the back end, and that was terribly unrewarding because it was outside the scope of my control. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, what are you doing now? Well, I work for PlayStation on PlayStation View, which is a YouTube TV competitor, although we were first. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, The nice thing is I'm on an internal tooling team. So although a lot of the clients are a lot of the PlayStation teams are Ember and then we have some native like Objective-C for Apple TV and and stuff like that. 
There's a lot of Ember clients. I'm not a huge fan of Ember. I'm even less so a fan of Ember after working with Ember and struggling <laughs> to figure out how to get some of the benefits I used to have in Angular and Ember and realizing it's just shoehorning. But what I do now is mostly Node and JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript and small library maintenance. And it's kind of cool because I can jump into client frameworks and put stuff together, but really I'm just focused on keeping well maintained. I, I get to look at things at a high level architectural internal thing, and I don't tend to deal too much with the day to day HTML, CSS uh, nuances. And <laughs> I mostly build stuff and then distribute it. And then other people have to figure out how to deal with uh, asinine bugs. But when I'm not doing that, I actually do a bunch of art projects. And I only mention this because this Thursday, I'm going to a movie premiere at Man's Chinese Theater in Hollywood for a film project I just uh, I've been working on. So I do a bunch of random stuff outside of programming these days. The part of why I went to PlayStation, reduce my work hours and increase my social life. That's really cool. You want to talk a little bit about this project or? Um, so the project I worked on, I'm an editor for. It's called The Tolls. It's a Nazi kind of parallel reality science fiction short film, 20 minutes. Uh, I don't think you can find it online anywhere right now, but there, if you look at the, the problem is, uh, we don't have like a go-to landing page that I'm aware of, but look for the tolls, uh, by Wiley on Facebook. Uh, I'll provide some links, but, uh, we were, we've been in a couple of film we're doing the festival circuit and for me that's super cool because filmmaking is one of my many hobbies and i have a film airing at man's chinese theater so super excited to go check that out that's really cool yeah this episode will come out long after it's been aired there but yeah if you can give us some links then we'll definitely post them so people can go check out this or maybe other projects you've got going cool yeah i can do that awesome but yeah that's the one thing i've i'm sorry i just Coming up with a work-life balance has been one of the things I, as advice I give to a lot of open source people, like you really, really got to appraise what's going to last a while. And working on art projects has been a lot more, a lot of fun to help balance out my open source and coding work. Yep. So. No, I totally get it. I mean, I spend time doing uh, Boy Scouts of America and, you know, a handful of other things, you know. And some of them are causes that I really believe in. And some of them are just, you know what? I just kind of need to bang on stuff with tools for a while. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I repair my own cars, for example. And, you know, oh, that's for, awesome. me, for me, it's just, it's the same thing. So I totally get it. And I think a lot of times we neglect to talk about that, right? It's, oh, well, what are you doing? And what do you do in your spare time? Well, I do open source in my spare time. And then, you know, I talk, I talk to somebody a year later and they're like, oh, I totally burned out on that and the next project. And now I'm on the next thing that I'm going to burn out on in six months. Yeah. So, I think for, for open source, it got frustrating because you can't share it with people outside the tech world. Yeah. And I, I've been doing it so long. You, you know, you go to people and they ask you what technology or library framework you're working in. And it's just after so long, it just feels like more of the same. And I know it's just going to change in a year or two because it just evolves so quickly. And while that's cool, I realized don't focus on having a hundred minute test coverage in every single feature you were ever asked in your libraries. Focus on you still, I still care about quality of work and quality of code because again, my number one 
concern when it comes to writing code is refactorability. But the point of all of that stuff is your end product. If you're not building a product, you're, you're like, you're going to burn out. And if you don't care about the product, you're going to burn out. And if you're not managing your, your work-life balance, and I, there's one piece of advice I want to give to any person in the t- programming world. If you ever have other projects outside of programming or activities, say yes to them because you'll always have all those times they fall through to work on your code and your projects. And also, once it's in your calendar, your schedule, don't cancel them, period. You can work on programming anytime you want. If you get an opportunity to go to a movie, go to music, work on a, like art, work on anything else, put it, say yes, put it in your calendar and do not break those commitments. And that will help you reduce your burnout. You might not build applications that fast, but unless you know you're going to start a company and you've like willing to put all your time and energy and money and commitment into it, then remember to like balance your life and Make sure you're not because you're not going to be on your deathbed being like, I really wish I had 100 percent unit test coverage (laughs) or I worked every hour. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Last Friday, I gave a talk at my company for wallaby.js. It has literally evolved my approach to programming. It is, I'm not even going to get into it too much, but it will make you ridiculously fast at programming. And it's just like, it's life changing. It's, they've got a plugin for every IDE. An individual license costs a hundred bucks. Try the trial. Totally worth it. Maybe the dude will hook me up for name dropping him, but, uh, that thing is awesome. And uh, I already mentioned the film I've been working on. I don't think I have anything else right now that's super stirring in my head. Cool. Um, we've been trying to get the guy from WallabyJS on JavaScript Jabber for a while. And yeah, so hopefully we'll uh, come out with something like that soon. All right. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks myself. It's funny. I do so many of these shows, and I've mentioned this before on the shows, that uh, I run out of things to pick. Well, for, for me, can you tell me what your favorite pick or your most recurring pick would be of all the other episodes? You know, I tend to come back um, when I pick stuff. I tend to keep coming back to Brandon Sanderson's novels. Oh, I love Brandon Sanderson. So Everything he makes is awesome. Yep. 
Well, but I started to realize all of his books are kind of a little bit too similar to each other now that I've read most of them. Yeah, a lot of them are. I mean, the magic system changes and, you know, things like that. But they they tend to have the same cadence and the same uh, pattern of, you know, stuff happens, stuff doesn't happen, stuff happens, stuff doesn't happen. Yeah. I've realized my favorite thing about novels, especially sci-fi fantasy novels, is really good world building uh, authors like Harry Potter is great because there's so much detail to the world and they create rules and explanations behind these normally fantastical things. They don't just say he magicked away a problem because that's very deuce ex machina. Yeah. And Sanderson always puts rules into his universes and you don't feel like the author is just coming up with hand waving explanations as to why characters can do things. There's always like a you know, a logical grounding for everything. And I love that. Everything's in Brant's. He has always has this approach. that's very material and I forget what the call the, the word is, but like chemical based explanations yeah. for all the magic. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. There are definitely, it's, it's almost like the rules of physics applied to magic. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. In fact, um, Brandon also has a podcast where he talks about authoring, um, fiction, um, that he does with a bunch of other folks. By the way, one one of the things that I've I've been really wanting to do is just meet Brandon. He actually lives in Provo, which is twenty minutes away. Oh man! But what's a what's a podcast called? I want to go check this it's out. Called Writing Excuses. Oh, and they've been doing it for a uh, number of years. So um, anyway, um, it's it's terrific. So I'll, I'll shout out about that as well. Um, they also have a conference that they pulled together. It's called life, the universe and everything. I'm pretty sure they hold it here in Utah. <laughs> so you can check that out. And I think they also do a cruise, which is a writing workshop that runs for about a week. So they've, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. That's really, really awesome. So yeah, maybe I'll just talk about that here for a minute. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Can I throw out yeah. one more? Cause you reminded me of one. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I started a podcast um, but there's only a pilot, so I haven't been marketing it yet. I'm still trying to record. I want people to come on, if you're in the Bay Area, to record the episodes. It's a dating podcast called You Suck at Dating. And it's uh, – <laughs> the name is influenced from You Suck at Photoshop. But um, the podcast is about getting two guys and two girls to communicate and empathize and really – like I think the problem with dating, which is something I deal with a lot, is that people don't really communicate very well anymore. And it's like trying to have those drunken epiphanies about philosophy and not about that terrible date you had. And I, I – trying to get people to come on it. I've only got one episode, but – that's my podcast. Hey, there we go. Yeah, go check that out. This will come out in a couple of months. So hopefully you'll have more stuff out by then. Um, <laughs> one other thing that I'm going to pick, and I know that it's going to turn some people off because it's more of a political pick, um, but it's a book I've been reading lately. The The things that he brings up, I think he's he, he harshes on stuff a little bit too much, but um, I, I tend to lean a little bit more to the right politically in the U.S. Um, than the left. And, um, there's a book out there. I've had a number of people, you know, I, you know, they, they ask, well, you know, how did Trump win? You know, how did, how is it that, that people voted for Donald Trump and why? And I think a lot of the answers are going to come out in this book. If you go read it, it's a book by Ben Shapiro. I know a lot of people don't like him, whatever, whatever your feelings are. If you want to understand it and you want to understand how a lot of people feel, I feel, I felt some of it, but not all of it. 
you know, so I wouldn't go as far as he did um, in the book, but um, it's called Bullies by Ben Shapiro. So if you're interested in that, um, then uh, go go read that. I'm also kind of an equal opportunity offender on this stuff. Um, you know, I, I hate the Democrats and I hate the Republicans. So I, I agree. I also, I also I'm a centrist. I, I'm not a centrist. I just feel like they both lie to you about different things and neither of them really well, give me what I want. <laughs> and so <laughs> anyway, um, I, maybe centrist is the wrong term, but I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think everybody's kind of like forgotten how to have constructive arguments and constructive empathetic conversations and everybody's echo chambering preaching their propaganda and both both parties have kind of like gone down the drain yep but another book that i'm gonna throw out there and i understand that there are some source like there are issues with this particular uh author and the way that he sourced some of the material for the book but uh the next book that i'm going to read is fire and fury by michael wolf so again you know if you're kind of interested in where both and i feel like you 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 can't demonize the other side without trying to understand them. And so I, I really try not to do that. And so even though I lean way off to the right politically in the U S um, yeah, I think there's something to be said for, you know, go, go pick up the stuff that the, the people that have the, their value system, hundred percent, 180 degrees opposite yours and just go see what they're talking about. And don't be dismissive. Just see, okay, how could they, how could they wind up getting to where they are? Yeah. You can't you can't convince somebody about your side of an argument if you have no interest in even considering their side. Like that's the fundamental problem with people arguing these days. Nobody wants to go into it Uh like with the possibility of them changing their mind. Right. So, yeah, I like it. I'll check those out. So, yeah. Anyway, so I'll throw those out. Um, You know, like I said, you know, you, you you have to go check the facts on all these things. But yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and pick those. Uh, last time I picked a book by any kind of political personality, I had people come after me on Twitter saying, how could you pick <laughs> a book by that person? And you know what? I like the book. So anyway, um, if people want to follow you on Twitter or Facebook or uh, GitHub or maybe you have a blog somewhere, uh, where is all that stuff, Dean? On GitHub, I'm not super active, but my developer handle is ProLoser, P-R-O-L-O-S-E-R. Um, if you search for my name on Google, you'll find pretty much everything. Um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, it's all under Dean Sofer or Pro Loser. And I'll show up somewhere. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we'll have another JavaScript for- story for you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.